Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Kind of just literally keep talking about that. Hi, you're listening to Recover Girl. It's a podcast all about addiction and recovery. So excited about my guest sitting here on my couch. I've got Ian Harvey here. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited you're here. Let's do the double backup recorder. And and it's interesting because as you were just talking, we were just talking about your friend who does energy work. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, she's had all these different lives. She has. She's had probably 15 different lives. But what's interesting to me about that is right before that, we were talking about our mutual friend, Amy Dresner. Yes. And you said she's had, we both said she's had so many lives. Yeah. And you had said you only sort of knew one. Yes. (laughs) Or one sort of genre of her life. But let's talk theme because it is such a theme of recovery. How many different lives have you had? I've probably had uh, at least a dozen. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, My early life was um, dreaming of being an an artist, uh, musician, um, but I was too lazy to practice. Um, what kind did you want to be? Uh, I played guitar and sang terribly mm-hmm. um, and basically like covered songs. I never really wrote any of my own songs. I would just wasn't I didn't feel like I was I felt I was like, oh, everything's already been written about. So I'll just play other people's songs. And that was just my excuse or my block fear from trying to you know, yeah. be creative and write something. And I, I remember in college I did get hurt hard enough and deep enough that I wrote one song um, and it was because I accidentally burned down my f- best friend's dorm room by accident. Like, I was smoking cigarettes. I had put the cigarette out in her ashtray in her dorm room. This was when that shit was allowed. Yeah. And um, uh, we went out into Boston, like, shopping for, like, the afternoon. And uh, we came back, and the fire department was surra- had surrounded her dorm and we we're like, well, it can't be you, can't be yours, whatever. It right. turned out it was. And I had dumped the ashtray before we left. Ah. And um, so she didn't. She never spoke to me again. Everybody knew it was you. Well, the fire department interviewed everybody that had been in the room. Did you know when you saw the fire, you're like, this is me? No, I okay. didn't know. I had no idea. Okay. In fact, they interviewed and sort of questioned everybody who had been in that room in the, like the last 24 hours kind of thing. And it was like a big party room and like yeah. everybody was smoking in there. Everybody was like doing whatever. But um, I, I, they were, the fire department was like, so um, was anybody smoking in here? We're like, yes, a bunch of people were, but we always use the ashtray. Like no one like flicks butts anywhere, you know? And then um, I said, I think I emptied the ashtray. And basically they were like, all right, it's wrapped up. We yeah, got the yeah, answer yeah. here, you know? Yeah. And, well, you know, I to to my to my lame defense, there was a a giant life size poster, one of those vertical posters of James Dean in a you know in a girls' college dorm. Yeah. Um, and there was a wall, there was a wall plug behind the poster, and her roommate had plugged in her like blow dryer 
through the poster and oh. into the wall. Yeah. And it, it was like left. It was like left that way. So, but the ashtray that I dumped was right by in the wastebasket, right by that. And so I, it's like they said it started over in this corner. It was the hottest over in this corner. They measured those temperatures, whatever. But I just took, I took the blame. I, I, I said it's most likely that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I took the blame and I went downstairs after that. And she, my friend Julie, said to me, you know, she's like, what, you know, what, what did you, uh, what did you say? What did they ask you? And I told her, and she was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I think that was like the last words I ever heard out of her mouth. Wow. And so I was so upset that I upset her because she lost a lot of things like family photos that yeah. she had brought to school with her, um, you know, personal items that she just can't get back, you know. And um, her parents were also in the middle of a move from Michigan to Florida. So they mailed her all her shit. Oh, my God. So all her shit was in her room. Her roommate lost a bunch of stuff, too, but her roommate didn't have all her personal items there. And so anyway, uh, I think. She, I think the last words were like, you're fucking kidding me kind of thing. And then not, never again. So I, I wrote my own original song about that whole thing back then. I don't even remember the words to it. But I, I think I think I maybe remember the the chorus, which was so, you know, trite at the time. But um, it was something like burn this, burn this deep down. Something about like the in reference to the fire. Like it 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 felt I felt I felt equally as bad as she did losing her things at, for having done it to her yeah and being 18 years old you don't th nobody like all I could think about was her and her hurt and how hurt I was that I hurt her so back to the musician artist thing yeah um that was like the only probably original song that I serious one that I ever wrote I've written jokey ones as a comic like, and, yeah you know stupid stuff but but it's not my not my genre. So, but I wanted it to be at some point, and um, so that was probably like my first first life was wanting to be uh, an artist musician. And I didn't know that I was meant to be one in another genre. Right. Um, but I went on to do other things. I went on to do like um, I was a line cook in a deli. I was. Is this um, all on the East Coast? Yeah, all back in Maine. Wh okay, so where did you go to school in Boston? So I went to college in Boston for a year. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back after that. Wow, yeah. Um, one, because uh, so so my drinking was so heavy at that time, and I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I didn't know that I was actually in love with my best friend from college. I just thought she was my best friend, you know? Not like it, Julie. Yes, Julie. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. So, But I didn't know that's what it was. Like, right. I had all, like, I, throughout high school and beginning of um, – and for a little context, I'm trans. So I was right. born a girl. I was going to a girls' college. Wellesley? No, I went to LaSalle. In, I, mean, uh, I don't know that LaSalle and Newton. Um, it's just like a mile from BC. Yeah. And um, kind of like between Wellesley and, and B BC. Okay. And um, in Newton. And I, um, you know what? Like, I, I didn't understand who I was. I didn't understand my sexuality or my orientation, my gender, anything. But I knew that there was, like, something going on for me huge. Um, but I was falling in love with like all of my best girlfriends. Right. Um, and through high school, like my, you know, my best girlfriends in high school, same story. Um, and so all of that, like, like fed into my drinking. It's not why I drank. Right. Of course, but it definitely fed that, that, that desire to like squelch out the static and, and all of that noise that I couldn't figure out what it was. So I didn't go back after that first year after I burned <laughs> Julie's yeah. room down, yeah. uh, you know, like all of that stuff. I just never, 
um, sort of recuperated. But I also was uninvited back by the dean if I was going to continue my drinking. For that? No, for, for my drinking. Oh, okay. So okay, okay. Uh, after my first semester, I was invited to the dean's office. Yeah. And she said, listen, uh, if you... Um, if you continue to miss classes, I think I went to maybe two that mm-hmm. first semester. She said, "If I will personally fucking buy your bus ticket home. And I was like, okay. So second semester, I uh, I went to every class and I left there with maybe a 0.9 GPA because I had gone to no classes yeah. the first semester. Second semester, I did average. So bring that down to yeah. like something really, a really shitty average. But my drinking was so out of control. I went home. I never went back to college. Julie never spoke to me again. And I went on to try to figure out who I was. Um, and I thought that once I figured out that I was queer, I was like, oh, I'm done. like, oh, yeah, I'm done. Got figure, I got it. I, I, you know, finally could like peel back the layers, understand. Yeah. But my drinking continued. And I really thought that it would help remedy that whole situation that I would things would clear up for me. But the truth is, like, I was obsessed with you know booze from the time that i was like six or seven years old watching adults drink right i couldn't wait to get a drink in me and not because of my gender not because of my sexuality but because i it it just looked amazing to me and did did your parents drink no no okay so you were just seeing it in movies or oh soap operas i was obsessed with soap operas and they yeah actually all my children all my children one life to live in general hospital all in a row oh interesting days was mine yeah but they always had a cocktail in their yeah, hand, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that highball of scotch or whatever, you know, just just always, like, t- even, like, you know, with their own, like, hammering their own ice, you know? Right. And, you know, like, <laughs> making a cocktail. That doctor who was, like, uh, I don't know, just, it just constantly was always on, and I was obsessed with that kind of stuff. Be- so before it ever touched my lips, I couldn't wait for it. So it wasn't until I was about 10 years sober that I realized that, you know, yes, all of these things that were going on in my life and my trying to figure out my sexuality, my gender, my orientation, all that kind of stuff, that whole sexuality umbrella, did I realize that that just fueled what was already in me. Right, right. Like, it's genetic for me. Like, my three out of four of my grandparents are alcoholics. Um, it skipped my parents, and, and not to say that they don't have their own isms, but it, the, but the al- the desire for alcohol they just don't have that and they, you know like even today like it's so rare to like see even a bottle of wine in their fridge or on the counter like it's so rare it's like wait what's happening like what what event ha- you know yeah it was like it has to be a big thing. and you have siblings you have brothers is that I have right two brothers and a sister my sister joined our family when we were. Uh, in high school so she was my best friend in high school one another yet another one of those ones that, that i had fallen in love, in love yeah. with um but she um had a really tough time at home there was some like bad stuff happening with like stepdad just what you think yeah. you know and um she uh she came into school one day and said you know uh my stepdad just tr- did try to do something to me and uh and i said what the fuck and uh i told my parents about it my parents went to court with her mom and got custody of her was her mom objecting? No. Wow. No. Wow. So she came to live with us the last couple of years of high school. So she's my sister. And um, and when your family gets together, she's a part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Wow. Yeah. And um, she's awesome. So she's not genetically my sister. So she's not predisposed genetically yeah. to, to our family's yeah. history of alcoholism and addiction. But um, but my two brothers are have definitely have like their own things going on with yeah. it one of my brothers is in recovery um 
and the other is not. And uh, but we all have this little thing going on. Yep. So. And so you so you're obsessing over at eight or nine. You drink around 12. Is that when? No, I, I drank 10? around eight or nine. How'd you do it? Boys in the neighborhood were stealing booze from their parents. parents. Yeah. And the neighborhood consisted of houses surrounding a field on a lake. This um, is Maine. This is Maine. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's quintessential uh, Stand By Me, Stephen yeah. King. Yeah. Just like that. Like out in the boonies. Um, it's the 70s. Everybody just thinks that nothing bad can happen. Right. So until something bad happens yeah. to like you hear how Jimmy, you know, drowned or whatever. But we lived on a pond um, across the field from us were um, three families. Um, and one of the families had two really little kids. The other families had kids about our age and older siblings. And their older siblings were stealing booze putting it in like mason jars just mixing it all together yeah and, that's and we way. would go out into the middle of the field set up tents and like camp for the night kind of thing mm -hmm. and i when they busted out that stuff no none of the older guys were looking at any of us little ones going yeah you should probably skip this for right now right there's like they, it was humorous to see a little kid drink yeah. and get hammered off two sips you yeah. know what i mean so um but i was I was I was set from then on. It was something that I sought. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and it, it's really upsetting to my mother because she's like, well, where were we? And I'm like, it was the 70s. It was different then. It really was. They just let us run. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so, yeah, that was my first uh, like my first experience with drinking. And, and, you know, like, you know, sitting up on the two the two post fence, you know, sitting up on the top rung and you know, falling over backwards and hitting my head and nobody really thinking anything of it, like passing right. out. And right. um, so it was, it, it, I mean, that's the, that's really the worst of it that happened back then. But um, but my desire to drink didn't go away. It didn't it didn't it didn't quiet any of it. It really just accelerated it. And by high school, I was like every weekend. But I had rules. I had rules like I wouldn't go to I wouldn't go to school drunk or right. drink at school. Right. Because, yeah, that would mean you had a problem because that you'd be a loser if you yeah. did that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just did it every night that I possibly could and every weekend. And my yeah. parents went away regularly to do these like really sweet things like called marriage encounter weekend where they taught other couples how to write love letters to each other oh i know it's, it's so hippie right. um and sweet and so they would go away and like teach other couples how to have like like sort of rekindle their marriage and mm -hmm. not because their marriage was bad to make a good marriage better kind of thing and so they would go for away from like friday to sunday and like we'd have these raging parties yeah and uh my oldest brother tended to be in charge, but he was a little bit a part of what we were doing, but yeah. not as not really the not really as much more the social kind of stuff. Or was he is he the one in recovery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he didn't really have a say anyway because I would just do what I wanted. Yeah. Um. So I think he just his responsibility was to make sure that nobody died. Um, but we would move all the furniture out of my parents' house into the garage and have a band in the living room and, <laughs> and you know, like have a massive rager and cars up and down the street. And this is a different location than when I, where I grew up. We had moved. But so it just it, it accelerated from there. Go off to college, just continued in, into that, you know, massive drinking binge. And then my my first trip through recovery was when I was 21. Someone who was a friend of mine in Portland. I was living um, with a girlfriend at the time in Portland. It's like one of my first sort of girlfriends that I'd moved in with. Mm -hmm. and it was like very exciting time, but my drinking made it very unexciting. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I was just wasted all the time. And I had this friend who was sober. I knew she was sober, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sober to me back then was like, oh, like maybe you just don't drink hard stuff, which right. a lot of people <laughs> identify sober with. No, yeah. sober is you don't drink anything, asshole. Um, they're like, yeah, I don't drink. I mean, I drink beer once in a while. No, that that you drink. Um, or they think you mean sober right now. Yeah, yeah right, I'm sober right. Too. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So this friend of mine, um, Meg, um, really saved my life, introduced me to to recovery, and and she. She called me one day. I was on the what I used to call a third day of a hang of my hangover, but it was really alcohol poisoning. And mm-hmm. I again, not until like ten years in, did I realize that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she called me on my third day of this hangover, alcohol poisoning, and I, um, she said, uh, she said, "Hey, I'm on my way to a meeting right now. Uh, would you want to go with me?" And I was like, "What?" And again, because it takes a long time for the fog to lift. It was probably five or maybe even 10 years in again that I really thought for the longest time that she was psychic. Like, mm-hmm. how would she know? <laughs> how could she possibly know right. that I might want to? What Would right. she just like randomly call me one day? No, she had watched me as yeah. my friend, yeah. you know, for several years in the community struggling. And she just said, hey, you know, would you consider going to a meeting? And I said, yes. And. So in that moment, I really thought she was psychic. Really, all she needed was eyeballs yeah. to know yeah. that I might need a meeting or I might need to get sober. So I went. I had that, you know, that spiritual experience of like hearing someone say, and I don't know if you know this, in Portland, Maine is where the chip club started. No. What yeah. do you mean the chip club? Where the, they started giving yeah, anything yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the chip club started in Portland, Maine. Maybe that was even a thing. I know, right? Yeah. Well, the chip when you when you you get a white chip, new coming back, yeah. you know, thirty days red chip, whatever. So yeah, so that started in uh, in uh, in Maine, in Portland, Maine. But I, so I'm in this big giant meeting, and someone got up at the beginning. Uh, they did the chips at the beginning. They're like, they mm-hmm. said, if you are new or coming back, mm-hmm. we'd like to. Wel- we don't want to single you out. We want to welcome you in. So mm-hmm. if you would like to come up and get a white chip and something about that phrasing, I was like, that is so nice. Yeah, I am getting up and my body rose and I walked up to the front. And I got a white chip and it's really weird. I looked around the room on my way back to my seat and I saw so many people that I knew that I didn't know that were sober. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, you are. And you are. And I was like, oh, huh. Well, this this can't be too bad or too culty or too whatever I had, pre, you know, yeah. preconceived ideas. And uh, Jesus-y. So I uh, I stayed for two years, seven months, and twenty three days, and I relapsed on a relationship. Uh-huh. Um, one night went back, stayed sober two months, went out one night, and then I've been sober twenty four and a half years since. Wow. So, so this time twenty four. This time, yeah. Yeah. Um, God willing, you'll yeah. have twenty four. Yeah, we'll see. What's your sober date? It's uh, November twenty sixth, nineteen ninety two. We are the same sign. I am November 19th, 2000. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know what that makes so us. So cool. Um, That's very cool. Um, you know what's interesting that you, that you just said about how you went in and you saw these familiar faces? It's interesting because I feel like there are so many people out there who don't go because they're scared they're going to see people they know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? I do know. I totally know what you mean. But for me at that time, I was so desperate that it was actually really comforting. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, yeah. few, you know, that was really relieving to me. Yeah. yeah. I think I felt the same way. But it's interesting. People think they're going to get, somebody just said this to me last week. They think they're going to get busted. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They're there too. 
Well, the other the other side of that is busted because if you go there anonymously and and don't stay, then no one there's no accountability to anybody else's eyes that saw you there. Yeah. So if you go there and you know no one, then you can go back out and quietly, you yeah. know, but if you see somebody there, you now are sort of visibly accountable to someone that you know right. that you are in this room with them. So there's something about that that, you know, it's not just that you're 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 caught but it will ruin your drinking after that seeing someone else that you know, know. and maybe you don't want that ruined yeah that's interesting i'd never thought about it like but. that i wonder i mean i i had a one night i went out one night and it did ruin that but i don't know what it's like to kind of have you know the head full of AA and the belly full of booze as they say yeah no just uh you know what just on the two nights that i went out over those two months like so Wait, wait, wait. So you were out for two months? So no, no, no. Like I went out one night. Yeah. Was sober two months, went out one more night. Oh, I did. Okay. Wow. And now I've been sober 24 years. Bad nights. So it's two nights. Yeah. But they were, it was, the two nights were two months apart. Yeah. And, but each time it was that it was even one night. Yeah. It was ruined. Yeah. I could, I was like, oh, I geez, know. You, you just know? know too much. I knew exactly what I was doing. I and know. yeah. And uh, no excuses. Just, uh, yeah. I just, I, I remember sitting in a, I was upset. I was sitting in a bar. My brother was there um, and he, and I ordered a beer and he was standing next to me and he was like, hey, uh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, don't worry. It's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. didn't know. Yeah. You know, he didn't know. And I was like, I talked, I just talked circles around him until he would shut up about it. Yeah. And, and it, here's the thing, like when people are that committed in their head, it's like no one can stop them. But also, don't you find, I don't know about you, but I'm an amazing storyteller. Like, for myself, but for other people. I can convince people of almost anything. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. can convince friends that World's someone's a terrible person. World's best liars, yes. But it's just like, I'm, I believe it so much that that's really like, I can just spin it however I want. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, I have that ability, too. Even today, I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go away. I just consider it like, it's like, it's now... It's not about like I'm not using it now so I can get away with, you know, bullshit. I actually channel it now into like creative arts, like lying on stage as a comic, you know, like or that creative license to exaggerate or talk circles around people or, you know, it's it's not to do harm now. Right. Yeah. Did. um Okay. And so did you always want to be a comic after after this? I'm going to be a musician thing faded. No, it took me a while to get there. Um, I was I was a web developer, um, started a web development company. I worked in a I worked in a publishing company. And then uh, back in 1995, 1996. And someone said, hey, this web thing's going to be big. We think um, will you take over the alternative weekly newspapers website, which I had to learn HTML code. Mm-hmm to do and I did and then I was like I do think this web thing is going to be big and so I started a web development company in 1996 and I was going out sort of door to door convincing people that the web was going to be big and people were just like no I don't know I don't know about this whole that's that's crazy and um, I I still own the company Um, I still it's a it's it's primarily a hosting company now are you a extremely wealthy internet multi-millionaire i'm not i'm not no i'm not but you got in at a time that you would think but but i i'm not a business person i don't i'm i'm a bad business person i probably should have at the time started the hosting company in 1996 yeah i did not start it probably until 2000 Mm -hmm. 
So by then, like all these major, Everybody yeah, knew. and they were like residual income, like monthly income, someone paying you for, you know, that that space. And now that space is now called the cloud and people are selling, cloud, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's so crazy. But um, that like I just didn't think I, just, I wasn't a, a good business person mm -hmm. um, in that in that regard. Like basically I, I wanted to like be creative and design websites. And in order to do that, at the time, I had to start my own business because no one else was doing mm -hmm. that for me to work for somebody else. There weren't any other companies at that time. Oh, were you still in Maine? I was. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, fast forward to now, I still own the company. Um, I have and I build sites for friends mm -hmm. on the side. But I don't like I, if someone's like, hey, can you what? Yes. But like, I don't really take like new clients like off the street kind of thing it's right. only by i think i've probably done three websites in the last three years did you do your own i was just on it i did yeah it's a lovely yeah. site oh thanks yeah i mean it's basic but yeah it like does the work. trick so um, <laughs> yeah and so okay and so then you start to say how do you when do you make your way to la and all of that so i was in my websmith uh company mm -hmm. and i'm sitting up uh, my mail comes through the mail slot in this uh this big uh artist building where I had my offices and um, the mail comes in as a postcard and it was like, Hey, learn to write stand up comedy, comedy workshop at the local comedy club. And I let that postcard sit on my, um, my desk for probably three weeks, two, mm -hmm. three weeks. And um, I was interested in it, but I was afraid. And I remember, this is what kind of prompted me to do it. I, uh, to call the guy. I remembered that when I was a kid, we used to put on shows for our parents and our <laughs> aunts and uncles as mm -hmm. everybody, most everybody that I know does. And I would always come out in the intermission and do stand up and write joke. And I wrote jokes Ew. that were horrible. They made right. no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but that was the funny part too. The adults was like, this is absolutely horrible, but it's funny because it's horrible. And so um, I remembered that I would come out and I would also do impressions of other comedians. And the only other comedian that I knew at that time was an impressionist named Richard Little. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know who Rich yeah, Little yeah. is. So, so Rich Little, I think he's still working in Vegas, um, but I, would do impressions of him doing impressions of Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. like just ridiculous stuff <laughs> right. in the intermission. So I remembered that about myself and I was like, you know what? Like maybe that's something, maybe, I don't know. Like I would love to do that. Like, I, I don't know. So I called the guy, he's like, yeah, I got one spot left. And uh, which is a great sales tool, by the way. Amazing. Yeah, you're like, yes, I want it. One spot and I'm yeah. not sure if yeah. I can give it to you. Yeah, right, right. Better. You're yeah. like, I need it, I gotta give it to me, yeah. yeah. So 300 bucks. And I did seven weeks, eighth, eighth week, um, you do a live performance. But those seven weeks, you practice joke writing structure. You bring in your own material, you rip and read on, on stage in front of your classmates. And by the end, you have to have a solid five minutes for a graduation show. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that. And I loved it so much. Best drug I ever did. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you were sober at this point? I was, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, and since then, my rule in sobriety and doing stand-up is I never, I don't cancel gigs. Mm -hmm. I don't not show up when, and which recovery taught me this. is yep. like, you show up if you say you're gonna show up. Mm -hmm. And I do have this this button in my head that I wanna hit the cancellation button all the time. Mm -hmm. I had a thing yesterday, I had an acting class yesterday. Mm -hmm. I wanted to cancel it. I you're wanted- You're teaching it or you're in it? No, I'm in it. Okay. And, um, and, and I'm like, oh, I'm petrified to go. Yeah. Um, but I, once I'm there, I have a friggin' blast. Right. But like, there's that thing that like, you know, like, so 
I don't let myself say no to myself mm-hmm. anymore, especially mm-hmm. if I know it's something that I, I signed up for it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. sought it out. Yeah. You know, I'm paying for it. Like, why am I, why am I going to self-sabotage in this moment and not go? And there is, I don't know if it's related to like necessarily to my addiction as much as it is to my recovery yep. that like, it's, it's my, like, listen, you clearly want this for yourself. What is going on with you? Don't say, don't, I'll tell you the, Every time before when I was using, when I said no, it was always followed by a million other no's. Mm-hmm. Meaning like I, if I, it was a spiral. Like if I said no to, to this one up here, then I gave myself permission to slide even further down and further down and say no to everything. And so I never finished anything. I never mm-hmm. accomplished anything. I never got anywhere. I never created anything. And so my rule today is I just don't, I don't allow myself to push that button. That's so interesting because it's also, I think, probably applicable in addi- in addiction and alcoholism when you say yes. Like, yes, I'll like, I had a rule that I won't drink during the week, but okay, yes, I will. Or I had a rule, like, it's easier to say yes to the next line that you mm-hmm. thought you'd never cross. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I just heard a thing on NPR yesterday. This is sort of obvious, but it's a, some study that like, it's the same thing with lying. That like, it's once you lie once it's that yeah. much more it's yeah. that much easier to keep doing well it. yes can be a spiral down too yeah you know um i mean either word can be a spiral down but for me like i just today i just think okay like why do you want this for yourself why in the long run what do you want to get out of it what what like very quickly try to just get myself back into the mode of why I wanted it rather than I don't want it. Right. Um, Things like, I don't know, things like that, like acting scares the bejesus out of me. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Like I've done a few things, but I'm so petrified that I don't know what I'm doing. And then I have to remember that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Everybody's faking it. We're improving right now. Everybody's improving. Yep. Even if you have the lines memorized, you're still improving what is about to happen. Like you're trying to capture a moment and the soul of something so like i don't know like i like what am i afraid of everybody's faking it yeah everybody so like i go to the that's where i try to that's what i try to access and stop like telling myself all the the scary stuff and Mm -hmm. that you know everybody's in the same boat and i I, you know what that's what i've done with my transness too like really i think everybody's trans like i look around and i just think everybody's struggling with their masculinity their femininity their gender every day and yeah. if they're not, then they're the fucking weirdo, not me. Uh, yeah, I read something that you yeah. said about that, even with body. Yeah. That's where I related yeah. to it. I mean, if you, I, I, nobody's 100% comfortable with their body. Yeah. Nobody is. Because we're these like souls walking around in these flesh suits. Like, but, how could we be? But if you think about it, you can take whatever weird thought you have about your body and you can draw a line back to that continuum or spectrum or whatever you want to call it about masculinity and femininity and where we are told we're supposed to be mm-hmm. and what we bought out of that those mm-hmm. that garbage that we're fed you know mm-hmm. what part of that crap that did we buy and so and it almost indefinitely has to do with masculinity or femininity in some level or mm-hmm. or or not wanting to be either you know of those things mm-hmm. like so where do we fall in that spectrum in this moment right now and if you are not in discomfort with some sort of thought about your body then you're the fucking weirdo because mm-hmm. everybody else that i know is struggling mm-hmm. with something mm-hmm. so i used to think when i first understood who i was oh my god i'm the only one even though i had trans guy friends trans lady friends and or non-conforming friends and so 
I thought, oh, then we're the only ones. And I started, I moved to LA mm -hmm. in 2006. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> everybody here is trans. Like mm -hmm. everybody is like walking around, like struggling with body stuff, mm -hmm. especially here. I mean, this is a plastic surgery capital of the country. So mm -hmm. the, you, I just started aligning myself with people. And it's kind of like the, my journey into recovery too. Like before I stopped drinking, I thought nobody understands me. Nobody feels the way I do. And so glug, 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 glug. Right. Nobody feels this way. I'm like the, you know, the only one. And then I got into recovery and I met all kinds of other people that were also struggling. And I was like, oh, I'm going to stop misaligning myself and look around me and see all the people who are also struggling with this. And I feel the same way about gender. Like, so I... I stopped thinking that I'm the only one or just the people that I knew were the only ones. And now I just think that everybody has this thing. And so when did you start transitioning? I started like I, I knew I've known for probably 16 years mm -hmm. um, that but I didn't have the words for it before then until I met my first trans guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's it. That's it. That's the thing that's been nagging. That's the thing. And then um it took me a long time to get to that place of like, okay, if I do this, will I stroke my mother out? Mm. No, actually, I'm not going to mm -hmm. stroke my mother out. But I definitely thought, you know, like for the first time I was thinking of others instead mm -hmm. of myself. And that actually, like I had to work on my own codependency issues right. at that point. You know, and go, okay, I could make others uncomfortable and make myself happy or I could be uncomfortable myself and make others happy. So... Did I say that right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, anyway, yeah, 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 okay. And uh, so I just, I, I spent five years in therapy talking about it, um, and then I came out to my parents um, and my friends. I came out to my friends first and then my parents because I needed that support before I told my parents. And then um, I, so that was probably um, two, that was, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the number. So I've been doing stand-up for 15 years is how, this is like my mm -hmm. map backwards. So I've been doing stand-up for 15 years. I was Ian on stage when I first got on stage, although I wasn't, hadn't physically did my sort of medical transformation, like mm -hmm. take hormones and chest surgery. So I, so I didn't do that until about eight years ago. Okay. Um, but I'm fully cooked now, as yeah. you can see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. You know, I see like it. I definitely uh, like there's sort of no um, other than probably my socialization and my spirit, um, you know, being sort of male and female um, and maybe um, it's funny, like I'm definitely pegged as queer, mm -hmm. um, but I'm d not pegged as anything other than a guy. Right. Um, but there was like kind of like a for me, I'm looking in your mirror over there. There was like a there was definitely like an awkward my own personal awkward phase of like being on stage performing and beginning my transition, taking hormones and looking like a young boy to sort of like, I don't know, in my own words and not bad. I'm not using saying these words and to, to be degrading to myself, but. Um, it was kind of like a weird, awkward, mm -hmm. um, sort of boy, like boy, girl with sideburns, mm -hmm. like, like mm -hmm. having a chest and, uh, and sideburns mm -hmm. and facial hair starting to come in. And so there was definitely like for me, and I don't say this about anybody else, but it, for me, it felt like an in-between place. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I had chest surgery and, um, hormones started to take a bigger effect and a full beard came in and 
which I love and it's actually voice very and all that hard kind of stuff. for me to picture you uh, looking like a woman. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, you know, it's, that's the, that's the thing that people are always sort of, um, amazed by. Yeah. Um, and I get, I get that because it's like, it's not every day that you meet somebody who has had been, been so visibly different. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, and it's interesting because people are like think that you sort of become this different person and you're not. You're the right. same person. You're the same per human being you were before. Right. Um, you just might be a little bit more comfortable now. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's like it, add that on top of my recovery, like being happy in recovery and actually getting to have the body that I want and um, that I feel comfortable in. And although, like, I still walk past a mirror and go, "What the fuck?" You know, like oh, naked really? out of the shower, naked out of the shower. You know, you're like, "What the?" Uh, you know, like, is it like waking up from a dream. You're like, "Huh?" No, but it's it's just like, oh right, yeah, like that's that's me. There you are. Um, because you know, I I it's you know, I I do look like a guy, um, but stripped down, you know, to nothing and just out of the shower, like, you know, there's definitely some things <laughs> that look different. Like yeah. I have faint chest surgery scars like you can't see them that much but to me it's like i see it you yeah. know i still see it but um but i but i do think that that's part of that sort of remnant discomfort that everybody has mm -hmm. i don't think it's um i'm probably 95 percent better feeling than i was before wow. like feeling more authentic feeling like i look like what i'm supposed to look like what i always imagined what i always felt like on the inside um, but put that together with recovery and I feel, I feel near unstoppable. And okay. So tell me, so, so you start, to, you're at, you were out about everything. You're out about being sober. You're out about trans. You're mm -hmm. out. And so, and that's, and so you're doing comedy. You did this tour with Amy Dresner and yeah, felon. felon. Yep. And, and then when did transparent come about? So, and how, um, I was I, I was asked by uh, a friend. His name is Reese Ernst. He's also a, another trans guy, and um, he messaged me on Facebook and email and said, "Hey, we're looking for background actors for this pilot. Would you consider being part of this therapy circle scene?" Blah blah blah. And I said, "Yeah, sure." So I went. We filmed it over on the west side, and it was Jill came in, Jill Soloway came in, and sat down with everybody that was in the therapy circle, being supporting background to Mora doing her. Uh, monologue and she's Jill sat us down and she said I want you to know that this story is about my parent mm -hmm. um, and it's it's uh, derived from that obviously it's not going to be to the letter but um, but it was inspired by my parent um, coming out and telling me that they were trans and genderqueer and so this is coming from a very real place for me and I really want to tell this story and I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to um, objectify and you know uh, basically just like shared her story with us and her experience with her parent and so a bunch of people um went up to her afterwards and um i i just had this moment of like you know she, i just kind of felt like i don't know maybe she was being bombarded a little bit on that day people were very excited about mm -hmm. this show and nothing we'd never heard anything like that so um i kind of quietly um, left and I I didn't know this but she was um, following me on Twitter and so I messaged her on Twitter and just said thank you um, when does the pilot come out kind of thing and um, she said uh, we're not sure yet exactly but it will be in in the winter excuse me and um, 
she said, um, would you would you be interested in coming into the writer's room? We want to talk to you something about something. And this was probably November, late November of um, three years ago. Mm-hmm. 2000, whatever. 14. Okay. So she said, and this was, the pilot had been written. They had filmed the pilot. And I think they were working on storylines and stuff for the season if they got greenlit. So... I said, I'm traveling right now. I'm actually going to Germany to screen a film that I did. And um, she's like, I'm going to Germany. Where are you going to be? So we tried to actually meet in Germany, but we were like four cities apart. She was like on one end and I was on the other. And uh, I just said, I I can't take another train. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I had been performing and screening a film and I was just exhausted. So she said, how about when you get back? I said, okay. So I went to the writer's room in January um, when I got back after the holidays back in LA. Everybody's back at it. And um, all the writers were there. She was there. Her sister was there. Um, her sister Faith and all the great writers of Transparent. And so I and uh, she just tell us your story. And so um, I told my story, but I also infused it with some humor and mm-hmm. um, and some jokes. And then she said at the end, you know, I we we're writing a storyline about the youngest daughter, Allie Pfefferman, and um, that she has a love interest of a guy who's trans. And really, I want you to play this guy. And I was like, what? Um, and so at that moment, I said, you know what? Listen, I'm scared. And she said, what are you scared of? I said, I haven't acted in a long time, and, and I, which I didn't tell her, which she's probably read at some point because I've said it a dozen times or a couple dozen times by now, is that I hadn't acted since the eighth grade. So <laughs> a few years. I was like, you know, I'm, I've been a little bit nervous. I haven't acted in a while like since the eighth grade. And uh, so she said, um, well, what if I made it safe for you? And I said, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And uh she had me do an acting workshop with the whole cast, and then sh- I had a show at the Wiltern with Tignataro, uh, Reggie Watts, Zach Galifianakis, and Pat Oswald. Mm-hmm. I was hosting this show. There was a big benefit, Amazing, yeah. and she brought a bunch of the Amazon executives to see me at the show. I did the work, the acting workshop, and then she texted me, like the day after the acting workshop, and um, I didn't get it. I was driving. She calls and she says, "Did you get my text message?" And I said, "No, what?" And she said. You got the part. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so amazing. I got to pull over. I was with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mother and pulled over. We were on our way to American Idol (laughs) to to watch for her mom to see. And I pulled over. I'm like, like, I can't even believe this. I can't believe this. She said, said, it's so exciting. I said, I won't let you down. She said, you know what? I won't let you down. Right, right. I was like, what? That is crazy to me. That, to me, I've just never... I don't know if I've heard anything like that in L.A. before. Yeah. And so the experience, if you can imagine her, someone in the biz saying that, the experience on set was exactly the same way. It just, it definitely, um, you know, from the top down, like she set the tone for that that set and what it's like and what it's supposed to be like. And it was just really incredible. You know, it's interesting. I know Micah. Oh, yeah. And um, he did a Q&A. God, I, I know... Um, I'm playing. Why am I playing? Anyway, we're all in reboot. You know, Jill is in it too. It's this like I'm not even supposed to talk about it. It's this organization okay. for Jews in okay. LA, San Francisco, New York, and they did a Q and A. They did a transparent Q and A where they talked about the writers' room um, and just how unusual yeah. and unique it is. Oh yeah, they've done they've done um, like uh, they go away for like a week um, before the season starts and do a lot of like sort of um, sweat lodge kind of chanting and like all kinds of different sort of things to sort of access deeper parts of themselves to to write in um, their most authentic self and 
then they also do workshops with the actors before the season starts, um, before they start filming. And so it's a really like unconventional yeah. to what Hollywood is used to. But as you can see, it works really well. By the way, was Tig already on the show when you did the the benefit with her? I think so, because I think she and Jill are good friends yeah. that live in the same neighborhood. And um, so I think that she was written in as Barb already. Mm-hmm. I think. Pretty sure. And so what next? What are you working on now? We got to work towards wrapping it up. So let's get it. Um, let's tell him everything. Uh, I'm working on a script. I have a I have a writing mentor. Um here in LA that um so Josh Pfefferman played by J. Duplass yeah J. Duplass introduced me to one of his writers and um called her um his secret weapon mm-hmm. and um she's really really great her name's Mir and um Mir has been teaching me I wrote a script I gave it to Jay to read Jay said I'm gonna put you together with Mir Mir and I have been meeting and she's teaching me basically writing structure because I don't know what the hell I'm doing mm-hmm. so I wrote this script about my life about um, my relationships with a lot of like a long sort of list of straight women mm-hmm. um, who thought that they could wrap their head around, you know, uh, me. And uh, so writing about that um, and, and uh, screenwriting is just something new that was like, it's one of those things that like, I'm not even telling myself no about that. Like mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just keep trying. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to jump off things and get myself into like massive a massive hole and like figure my way out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also run um, a summer comedy camp in Maine uh, for comedy writers. And um, it started out as a comedy festival for standups. And every year, it's the seventh year uh, this summer. And every year I have extended it by a day mm-hmm. and asked the comics to come earlier before they perform earlier and earlier and um, make them do things literally jumping off cliffs into swimming holes on the side of mountains um zip lining down the side of a mountain um is this uh, inspired by how transparent does the writer's room no actually it was in, it was sort of organic like i was just planning fun activities for the comics to um to do but what i realized that it also inspired them to write and so the last last year that we did it we made it not mandatory but loosely sort of you know a requirement loosely that you have to write five new minutes while you're there Mm-hmm. And at the end of the week, you perform it in the live shows that we do. So um, we've been doing that, and I, I'll be doing that this summer. Um, I also, you know, like I'm, I'm actually, you know what, I'm about to um, this summer. I'm going to do um, a tour with Lady Parts Justice, mm-hmm. which is Liz Wenstead. She was, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know her? So she was um, so the writer on Daily Show. Daily she was, show. she was like co-creator yeah, of the Daily uh, Show. Yeah. So she has an organization called Lady Parts Justice, and they're doing um, reproductive rights fundraisers for um, places like Planned Parenthood, um, you know, community health centers and places like that all over the country. So I'm going to do 15 city tour with them this summer Um, and uh, at all fundraisers and getting people to sign up to vote and actually. Next month, I'm going to, um, in, in actually May, mid-May, I'm going to Texas to do a fundraiser there um, in Fort Worth. But also, they built a fence around the Planned Parenthood, the, the, the community health center there, that um, offers um, health care for women. And there's been a lot of demonstrations there, so they built a fence around it. So I'm going to also help paint the fence wow. um, and help escort people into the center. And um, so anyway, the, I'm just like running around doing whatever. So I'm also 
I have tons of tour dates on my on my website on ianharvey.com. So live performances, auditioning for shows. It's it's pilot season, um, writing, um, comedy camp, like Sounds anything. So fun. Anything I can sort of. Oh, and home projects. I just built a deck at a home. So Jesus. I'm handy. Um, I, there's lots of stuff that I do. Good to know. So yeah. I mean, I have some stuff around here that could get. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> um, well, and then if people want to find you, you're on Twitter, you're on yeah, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. Um, well, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. This has been absolutely a pleasure for thank me. Thank you for having so, me. Thanks. We're going to end.